Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. that theme song. You know what that song means, right? Well, maybe you don't. It means that this is an Ask Dr. Pizza, a fan favorite of the podcast. We tackle a bunch of different topics all in one episode. There's sure to be something in this that's exact piece that you need in your creative career right now to get unstuck. Let's jump into our first questions real quick. If you want to send in a question for an Ask Dr. Pizza episode, no guarantee that I'll cover it. We get lots of questions, but uh, you can send an audio recording just from your phone on the Voice Memo app and uh, email it over to hi at andyjpizza.com. That's hi at andyjpizza.com. You can also submit written questions, and you can ask to be anonymous, or you can plug your stuff there. You can also follow me on Instagram at AndyJPizza and look out for my Ask Dr. Pizza questions when they show up in the Instagram stories before I do an episode like this. Let's jump into today's first question. Hi, Andy. First off, I want to say I love your work in podcasts. It's such an amazing resource. Thank you. And my question is around client relationships. As someone who's recently a full-time branding consultant, I'm finding challenges managing client relationships and being assertive with my monetary value. Um, Do you have any advice or insights on this? Help. Um, You can find me on hellocara.com or on Instagram at Just Mascara. Thanks again. Hey, Kara, thanks for the great question. So you're saying, how do you get assertive with clients in terms of pricing? Great question. First thing I want to say is that it sounds like, you know, if you're afraid to sell yourself to what you deserve, it's first and foremost a self-worth question. So how much art do you feel that you're worth? And so if you're afraid to ask for what you're worth, that might be some kind of self-worth issue. And so the first thing I would say is maybe you need to go to therapy. I know I sure do, but I haven't. 
Um, <laughs> it's on my list of to-dos. I need to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I witnessed a f- healthy people, people that don't have self-worth issues, pricing themselves and demanding what they deserve and not flinching and, and not, you know, not seeing it as a conflict. It was just literally like this is the way business is done. So that's my first challenge to you. I'm not, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you expected that to send in a question to a podcast and the answer to be go to therapy. Um, but uh, but it, I think it's true. I think it's, there's a self-worth thing going on there for people like us who have a hard time asking for what we deserve. So that's the first thing. I can't, you know, cover that exactly. But second thing is I'd say work out your hourly rate. Figure out what is your, um, and I don't say, I'm not saying you should bill hourly for these things because I think creativity is a lot more valuable than than that, and we're going to get to that in a second. But just as a base foundation for your understanding, come up with the salary that you want to earn in a year, and then do the equation to see, you know, how many, uh, you know, how many months are in a year, how many how many weeks are in a year, how many hours in a day, how many days you're going to work, and work out your hourly rate. And then say, how long is this thing going to take me? That and, and times it by your hourly rate. And then figure out that's the base amount that I need to earn for this. And that'll give you some confidence where your pricing isn't just based on what you feel, but on some kind of fact. So if I'm in a situation where I'm pricing and I'm not really sure what this, how much this thing's worth, I'll start there and say, okay, I need to make at least this amount of money because I'm going to spend 20 hours on the thing. So... That's the second thing. Third thing is know your value. And I don't mean that in a vague way. I mean do everything you can to fully understand the value of the service that you provide or the work that you create. So go research. Even if you're, even if you're a fine artist, even if you're a musician, whatever you are, wherever you are, go get the science. Go read. What does music do for people? What what does branding do for people? Go research case studies of how people, how powerful brands are and why it changes the way people interact with a company and understand the real value of what you do. It, cha- it can change everything. So go study, get load up. That's your ammunition, both for destroying your own inner demons that want a price too low, but also for articulating yourself to the client, educating them. And you can, if you can tell them, this is why this thing matters, you know, and reference a study and, and, uh, you know, push them to information that helps them understand why something's going to be priced the way it can. That's educating your client and it's going to give you ammunition. So go find that ammo. The, thir- the second thing you got to do is you got to get in the ring. Now, you know, I've been listening to uh, Brene Brown all, all of a, a sudden uh, again. She had a Netflix special and it moved me to tears and I freaking loved it, man. I, I was already a fan. I'm, a, I'm one of those super fans now uh, of Brene Brown. She also had a really good interview with Mark Marin on the WTF podcast. But um, she talks about, you know, that Theodore Roosevelt quote, which is about getting in the ring. And, uh, you know, a lot of creative people, I think we struggle with our self-worth because we've never been in the ring. We say, hey, yeah, we'll be a hired gun. We'll be a mercenary for your company. Uh, Sure. But we've never fought our own fights. And so we don't actually know how good are we at fighting. And this is what I mean by that. I don't mean actually go get in fights. I mean, start your own brand. If you're a brand consultant, I think you should have a few brands of your own. And I think you should learn the power of brand. I'd, I'd create little side companies that 
really pass or fail based on their brand. You know, I really like art for this way. And to, art for me uh, is a very pure experiment in marketing often because it's dealing with subjectivity. So how can you create, even by yourself or with a collaboration with a friend, how can you create brands where you test the value of your branding? And you know what? What might happen at first? Bad news. You might find out that your brand isn't worth very much. But if you'll get in the ring, if you'll go on that journey to prove your worth, you will develop you, that will be the secret, not to just proving your worth, but to developing worth. For me personally, one of the things that completely changed the way that I priced was creating this podcast and realizing the episode art, the illustration that I did for episodes and the illustration I did for the cover art of this podcast was one of the reasons it caught on. It's one of the things that broke through the noise on iTunes. You know, Apple Podcast made me sign, or not made me, they asked me to sign a disclaimer that said that they could use my uh, cover art in different promos for the podcasting app and, and different things for iTunes. And the reason they did that, the reason it stuck out was the episode art. And it's one of the reasons they put it in, uh, you know, uh, e editor's choice and what have you. And I've heard tons and tons of people say they started listening to the podcast purely based on the fact that the episode art leapt off the screen for them. And it made me realize if my illustrations can cut through the insane noise online and grab people's attention, that is worth a ton of money. It's a really, really valuable thing. And I'm not going to do it for people that won't pay me the proper price because I can do it for myself. And so I always tell creatives, get your freaking, uh, cut your teeth in business by doing straight to the source, business to customer stuff, and learn the hard way by getting punched in the face in the ring. If you create those brands and you realize that actually your brand is not worth that much, you know, uh, you will develop that worth. There's a uh, great thing I talk about all the time because it's a freaking uh, game changer. Zig Ziglar talked about working with this guy who's a Tupperware salesman door to door, couldn't meet ins, couldn't make the sales. And Zig said, hey, have you ever used the Tupperware? And he said, no, I can't afford it because I'm, I'm failing so much. He's like, look, go get a loan, buy all the Tupperware. And if it changes your life, it'll change your sales. And if it doesn't, get out. And so he bought the Tupperware. It changed his kitchen experience. It it. Everything changed. I mean, he was so glad he took a loan out. He thought, and once he had done that, he realized everybody needs these. They need to do whatever it takes to get these Tupperware because it's going to freaking change your everyday life in such a dramatic way. And with that passion, that inner tested passion, not vague sense of the worth of this Tupperware, but a real firsthand experience, he became the best salesman. It changed everything for him. And if you test your consultancy in the marketplace, in the ring, and you find out it's not worth, it's not up to snuff, that'll be the first step to actually getting it up to snuff. And it'll be snuffy, snuff, snuff, snuff. I like that word, snuffleupagus. You know, it'll be snuffy. You'll get snuffed. Um, but <laughs> if it'll be the first step, not only to self-worth, but actually real value. And once you know the value of what you can do, you will be an incredible salesman. The third thing I recommend you do is go find this PDF online. It's put out by the, the CEO of FreshBooks. It's called uh, Breaking the Time Barrier. And you can actually get it as a little book too. And it's all about value-based pricing. It's just like a 
a fictional story that teaches you a non-fictional truth about how to base your pricing not on hourly, not on time spent, but on value. And it talks about, you know, if you make websites that can make a client $100,000, it doesn't matter if you can do it in three hours, that's worth $10,000. That's worth a tenth of what they can make on it, right? At least. And so you have to, don't base your pricing based on hours spent. Because if you do that, you'll always be a freelancer and never an entrepreneur. You'll always be a slave to the amount of time that you put in something, even though you're enabling crazy growth for your clients. And the truth is, if you're a branding consultant, you can dramatically change the way people perceive companies and the perception. You know, people, we talked about this last episode, people judge books by their cover and it's their brand. And if you can give them a positive impression, that's pass or fail for the brand. And you owe, you're owed a slice of that cake, baby. Come on. Go check it out. Breaking the Time Barrier. Uh, fresh books, it's value-based pricing. It will change the way that you see pricing. And if you've heard me say, if you're like, Andy, you've said that before on the show. Yeah, but have you read the PDF? Have you read the book? I rest my case. Go check it out. Everyone should read that. Every creative should because you need to understand the value of what you do. All right, I got a question here about the Instagram algorithm. The Instagram algorithm, I feel like that's like saying Lord Voldemort. We all hate it. We're not fans of it. But guess what? It's not going anywhere. That's how Facebook makes money on Instagram, by using the algorithm. They do it so that you'll uh, so that you'll pay for boosting posts and blah, 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 all this stuff. It's the way that they monetized Facebook and why it's so uh, such a cash cow for them now. And they did the same with Instagram. And that's what apps are going to do. Apps are going to do what they got to do to keep the doors open. That's the way it is. And, and that brings me to my first thing about the Instagram algorithm. And then I'll give you a few tips about it. The Instagram algorithm. The, th- uh, the first thing I got to say is, there, if you go read a bunch of business books and you read about success and people that um, succeed, you're going to f- hear one of the same things over and over and over again, which is successful people focus on what they can control. If the cards are stacked against you, it's not worth really worrying about the fact that the cards are stacked against you. It's just, wor- it's just worth worrying about which cards are in your hand, which cards can you play, play the hand you're dealt. That's all you can do. And if you, you know, one of the things I've thought about is I live in the Midwest. Um, Yes, there's some choice there, but ultimately uh, that's where we need to be for a a myriad of reasons. And I looked at people that were also not in major markets and what they had to do. And I saw that to get to the same place and the same attention level of people in major markets, that people like me had to do twice the amount of work in promo and attention grabbing and and, uh, getting eyeballs on their stuff. And so that's, that, that, those are the cards in my hand. So I had to accept it. I had to deal with it, right? And I get, you know, I never stop hearing about artists complaining about the Instagram algorithm. Yes, I know. We'd love to go back to the way it was. We can't. The cards are stacked against us. And I think the biggest problem is, is that all those same people that are complaining about it have never once Googled, what does the Instagram algorithm want? How does it work? What can I control within that system and actually played to it and understood 
what do I do with the situation at hand? Because it's not changing. And, uh, and so that's the first thing you got to do. But ultimately, the, before we get there, I want to say something about Instagram and social media and all this stuff. There's a generational thing that happens to people in my uh, generation. So people in their 30s, late 20s, and then older than that. We all have a hard time seeing social media as what it really is, what Gary Vaynerchuk says it is, the internet. Like, the internet is not browser-based, okay? We get to everything browser-based through social media. That's where we get all our links. That's where we engage with other people online. Like, 99% of what we think of as the internet is social media. And I actually think we need to, it's one of the perceptions that causes us to not take it as seriously as it is as businesses, as creative people trying to earn a living, there's so much stigma attached to social media for people older than 25 uh, because we saw it as, we still think of it as like instant messenger or AMI, AIM, AIM, uh, AOL instant messenger or, or, or MSN, whatever. I'm not judging who, who, you, who your provider was, but we see it as this thing that's for fun. But the truth is that social media is the make or break thing for your creative business if you're getting started today. And the people that are coming up next will not have a hard time going super deep in succeeding on Instagram. They will not have a hard, they will, they know on an intuitive level it is the internet. It does freaking matter and you better figure it out. And so have you spent all the time and energy necessary to play with the cards that are in your hand? I'm going to put a, sh- a link in the show notes to an article on Later. Uh, they're an app for posting to Instagram. I really like them. Uh, I think that they're, uh, they're a good way to take your Instagram post to the next level because you can schedule them and you can uh, do a lot more strategizing and you can see the layout and you can put pretend posts in your feed so that you can see how it'll look with other things. And if you're not taking your Instagram presence that seriously, and I, by the way, I understand how nerdy that is. I understand how uncool that is. I've never heard anybody talk about, you need to take Instagram seriously and thought, you know, that person's a cool guy. But the fact of the matter is, I'm willing to be uncool for your benefit. You already know Instagram freaking matters, whether you like it or not. Uh, it, whether you're a comic or whether you're an illustrator, whether you're a designer, whether you're a writer, it doesn't matter who you are, but it does matter that you take it seriously. And so you need to understand, what does the algorithm want? We need a new Mel Gibson movie, but not with Mel Gibson. You know, not what women want. What does Instagram algorithm want? So we can get in touch with how it works so you can hack it. I've learned some things over the years. There's two things I'll tell you right from the get-go. Number one is it likes when you're consistent. It likes when you post at a consistent time, uh, at a c- consistent points in the week. You know, my, uh, my episode art, I post it at 9 a.m. EST every Tuesday. And those posts tend to perform better than other posts. And so if you can treat, the more seriously you treat it, the more seriously it'll treat you. Second thing is it it will show your post to people that it thinks you have a relationship with. So those people that comment, your super fans, your true fans, the people that comment on your post, you need to start engaging with them. I know you want to pretend like you're Ricky Martin living the Vita Loca up in the, the uh, 
the ivory tower of your creativity beyond the reach of your fans, even though you only have a, th- uh, a thousand followers. Like, I don't know why, uh, maybe that's just me, but there's a part of me early on that I had to deal with where it's like, I'm unreachable and it made me feel good not to reply. I don't know that maybe I'm just sick, but that part of me is dead now because that's stupid and it's bull crap. And not only is it just bad humanity, it's bad business. Get connected with your people. If if Instagram thinks you're connected to your fans, you guys have a relationship, it will show them your posts. But ultimately, you can go find all the tips online. But the two things I got to tell you is, one, focus on what you can change and what control you have. And two, take social media extremely seriously. It is the make or break thing for your business. And quit seeing it as social media. See it as the internet and see it as uh, imperative to your business success. And when you do that, you'll put the time and energy not into complaining about the algorithm, but learning how to beat it. Hi, my name is Vika. I am an illustrator from California. And before anything else, I kind of want to get the gushing out of the way. And I want to say thank you for all that you do, Andy. I think you are a wonderful human being. And I honestly look forward to the amazing content that you give us every week. So anyway, my question is mainly about how to start an illustration career from the ground up when there are three factors to consider. So number one, your brand spanking you to this amazing but confusing world of illustration. Um, I've only been doing this for a little less than a year. So yes, it is a new passion, but I know in my gut that it's just something that I want to do long term. Um, Number two, how do you do it when you're new to a place or a country? I moved here from Asia fairly recently, and honestly, I don't really have a lot of connections in the local communities or in the industry at all. And number three, How do you go about it when you're an introvert who's also kind of insecure and you just struggle with having to schmooze with people in the real world and you're unsure of how to put yourself out there? I know that's a lot, but I would just be immensely grateful for any kind of tips that you might have or any kind of sage advice that you'd like to offer and send my way. That would be awesome. Thank you so much and I can't wait to hear the episode. Hey, Vika, thanks for the lovely feedback and the really great questions. So you say, how do you get started when you're just starting out and you don't have any connections and you feel really insecure? Well, you know the answer to the first question, uh, and it's the second question that you got. And the second question you had gave me why you couldn't do the second question, which I get all of these. I'm not (laughs) not blaming you. I just think it's funny. So the first thing is, what do you do when you just started out? You know the answer to that. Get connected. But then your second question is, Uh, but I don't have any connections. And the third question is, I can't get connections because I'm too scared, and I get it. I'm an introvert. I'm awkward. Uh, In those conference situations, those, uh, you know, mixers, networking events, it can be really awkward. But here's how I get past it because the truth is when you're starting out, nothing matters more than time spent with people that want to be like how you want to be and people that are the way that you want to be. Jim Rohn says, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are you spending time with? If it's not illustrators that are also competitive in getting better or also 
established, you will not be like them. It's one of the only reasons, it's one of the main reasons I suggest going to art school if you can afford it somehow. You know, either your parents can pay for it or you have a scholarship. Like, if you can afford it and it's not going to go into crippling debt, that's one of the easiest ways to be surrounded by like-minded people and also uh, people like how you want to become. There's some kind of this osmosis. There's some kind of, you know, thing where your limiting beliefs break off and you see people like you succeeding in the way that you want to. And for some reason, that allows your brain to rewire itself and get strategic and have that growth mindset to become what you ultimately want to become. It's one of the only ways to do it. Get around people that uh, that are doing it. But you said, how do you do that when you're awkward and insecure? Or you're, I don't know if you use the word awkward, but that's how I feel in these situations. So I'm projecting onto you. Here's how you do it. I'm going to give you a few tips. The first thing you got to do is niche down. You got to go find your people. You know, when I'm in town, look out for when I'm close by because other creative pepperonis, people that are that love this podcast, they're like you. And the reason why that's really important is because I believe that the antidote to awkwardness is passion. It's being a nerd. When you're in your nerd zone, you will be yourself. You can't help but be yourself. Passion, passion and awkwardness cannot embody the same human at the same time. You know, for me personally, when I go do talks or, you know, I just went to Denmark and it starts out just like every other, we know we're supposed, we're like there's a written, unwritten rule in humanity. You're not allowed to nerd out from the first second you talk to somebody. You got to start with some awkward conversation, awkward small talk. And I don't, I know you're supposed to do it and I hate it. I'm so bad at it. You start and you're like, okay, don't say anything about the weather. Don't say anything about the weather. Everyone knows if you say stuff about the weather, you're already having a bad conversation. There's clouds in the sky today. <laughs> so I start it and it's awkward and it's terrible. But once we get to creative careers or illustration or creative performance, all of a sudden, I'm in my passion zone and they're in their passion zone and there's a connection being made. It's one of the only reasons I've been able to interview my heroes is because we have these things in common. You know, my daughter, my littlest, she's very uh, shy in new situations, but I know how to get her out of her shell, how to get her into her true self and show people what she's really like. I ask her a question that gets her into her passion zone because there's confidence in it. And it's in that excitement uh, dismantles the awkwardness. And I know Alice loves acting and pretending. And so I'll, I'll ask her a question like, uh, uh, waitress, could you get us a pizza with a little prosciutto, goat cheese, and maybe a little drizzle of balsamic? And she'll say, oh, yes, I will get that. Do you want any coffee with that? We also have ice cream. And she's literally shaking with passion. And it just instantly, she's transformed. If I want to do that for my son, I'll say, uh, Hugo, who, do you think there is a Pokemon that can beat Charizard? And all of a sudden, he's out of his shell. He's excited. you got to find those safe spaces to go nerd. And those places are, you know, like I said, events that maybe we'll put on or events that other illustrators put on, conferences. Like, you'd be surprised. Yes, there is some awkwardness. It takes a little pain. But if you push through it and you find a space to get nerdy, your awkwardness will disappear. Second thing I tell you to do, go find role models, people like you. You know, there's a lot of 
people that have came from Asia and become really successful illustrators. There's a whole list of them. Go Google Asian American illustrator. Uh, you're going to find a huge list. There's some really brilliant ones. And I would suggest either emailing them and say, hey, how did you get acclimated? Any tips, any things that really helped you break through uh, and feel at home in this industry, in this country? Uh, but you don't even have to email them. You might be in an industry where emailing this person isn't an option. All you got to do is go devour everything that person puts out in terms of interviews and storytelling and telling their truth. Go devour it. You know, I would, I'm blown away by how little research creative people are willing to do or whether they even think to do it. They don't realize how it changes your brain. So for me, I'm ADHD as a creative person. And actually, the one of the most powerful things I can do is go listen to people who have ADHD that are successful in creativity and successful in business. The, the people that I've found that have the same uh, brain chemistry as I have that have crushed it in business are is the secret to how I saw myself as having great potential in business. And it didn't happen until I found those role models. And so even if you can't connect with them directly, find and devour everything that they put out. And the last thing I would say is feel the discomfort and do it anyway. You know, um, if you want to live your dreams, if you want to uh, do this path, you have to realize that there is a price to pay. One of the prices to pay for this adventure is the hard times, the struggle, the roughness. And there are times when I am literally just dying inside, pushing through these situations that I desperately don't want to be in and just feeling the pain and doing it anyway. We're going to go later. We're going to talk about uh, getting out of your comfort zone and the power of that and, and, and why it's the price of admission to success and what you want to do. But uh, that we'll leave it there for now. So I got a lot of questions about focus, okay? We've talked about this a few times on the podcast, and we'll probably talk about it a million more times after this. Here's the thing. Creative people, one of their superpowers, seeing possibilities. One of their super weaknesses, seeing infinite possibilities, right? Like we see so many ways we can get to something. We want to explore them all, and we get distracted by them all, and it causes us not to be able to focus intensity, so Dave Ramsey, weird guy, not sure I know, you know, <laughs> a lot could be said about this guy. But uh, one thing I heard him say that I think is really phenomenal is this idea of how do, what's his equation for business momentum? And it's uh, intense effort plus consistency equals momentum. Can you intensely focus on something with a disciplined effort over time. And if you will, you will have a breakthrough. And so focus in business is incredibly important. However, I don't think you have to focus on the same thing forever. I think it's kind of like getting plates 
you know, spinning. You get one plate spinning, then you can get the next plate spinning, and the next plate spinning, and the next plate spinning until you're this creative who's like on one tiptoe with like seven plates on each toe, and you've got like 85 plates spinning. Hopefully, that's what you have one day because that kind of creative ecosystem and that diversification of income is one of the best ways to thrive. Right now, I am podcasting, public speaking, making kids' books, making client work, uh, doing all kinds of freaking things, right? And it keeps me jazzed, it keeps me excited, and it keeps the money flowing through my bank. It's important. But I believe to get to that place, the best method is to focus on the right next domino to knock over. And this is how I think you do that. Just a few little things here and there. So first thing I think you got to think about, you got to think about uh, Google founder came up with this idea of the 70-30, no, 70-20-10. And uh, I call it the uh, front burner, back burner, and crock pot. So you got what's on your front burner, that's 70% of your focus. It's how you earn a living today. You decided what that was going to be in the past. And you can't change the 70% overnight. You know, whether you're a student or you have a full-time job or you're a freelancer working in kids' books or whatever it is, that 70% of your time and effort is chosen for you by past self. Thank you, past self, for choosing that. Uh, that's your front burner. It's what you got to spend a lot of your time thinking about. It's your, it's your uh, main dish that you're working on that needs a lot of a time and attention. Your back burner is the thing you'd like to put on the front burner later. That's 20% of your time. And I suggest you focus on the next domino. This is from the book, The One Thing. Talk about it all the time because it's a freaking awesome book. It talks about how it's The One Thing by Jay Papasan and Gary Keller. He talks about how you need to focus on the power of dominoes. So dominoes, a domino can knock over another domino 50% its size. And within like 10 dominoes, you can, a a small domino can knock over a door, right? So you got to figure out what is the domino that's going to have that kind of impact that's set up to do that thing and focus all your energy on that or that 20% of that energy on that. Put everything else in the crock pot. Don't say goodbye to it. Don't throw it in the trash, but say, hey, all these other distractions, all these other things I want to get to, I'm going to put them in the slow cooker. And when I get that 20%, into that 70%, I'll add my next domino in the back burner. So for me personally, a few years ago, probably about 2014, when I, around when I started this podcast, I realized that I needed to be an illustrator's illustrator, that I needed to work with the New York Times, work with the Washington Post, work with the Boston Globe. Why? Because A, it, would, uh, it was a way to diversify my income, B, it was something I was interested in. C, uh, it would give me the kind of credibility and clout in my industry to do what I wanted to do, which was become a, 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 also become a public speaker, also be a teacher, and get hired in all those different ways. And I knew that it was an entry point. If you've worked with the New York Times, all of a sudden you're at least more likely to be invited into the inner circle of illustration, like you're legit. And so I realized that if I knocked that one domino over of breaking into uh, having work with the New York Times, then it would accomplish like 15 things. And so if you look back, the episode art for like episodes one through 150 of this podcast looked like editorial illustration because I was focused on breaking into that. And when that plate was up and spinning, I shifted my gears to the next domino. So what's the next domino you need to focus on? 
figure that out. Spend the 20% of your time where you're doing side hustle stuff, you know, stuff in, uh, that's not in your 70% on that domino. And once you hit that one, take something out of the slow cooker and put it on that 20% back burner and repeat. Here's a question that came in through the Instagram app, if you're familiar with Instagram app. Uh, <laughs> what do you do when business strategy gives you anxiety because you just want to create? I reject that question because uh, on the on the uh, I think there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen in your mind that says business strategy is creativity. You know, uh, my dad is really great at business strategy. He's in the corporate world, and he always says, "I'm not really creative." And I'm like, "Man, there's no way that you've fixed as many." parts of your business and they move you all over the world to do all this problem solving if you weren't a creative problem solver. I think that we have a fundamental problem with the way that we see creativity. I think we see it as too magic, mystical, and not scientific enough. I think it's a mixture of both, but ultimately I think there's a lot of stuff that happens in your brain on a neurological level that unlocks creative results, and I think that uh, that it applies to business and creativity. For me personally, one of the biggest shifts in my success as a creative person is when I quit seeing business as numbers and finance and taxes. When I started reading business books and diving deep into that world, I realized that business had nothing to do with bookkeeping. Like that's all the stuff that's like, I don't know, it's like keeping the freaking uh, gears oiled, but it's not inventing the gears. It's not, that's not what it's really all about. That the businesses that succeed aren't the ones that have the most finely tuned administration or, or keep up on the, the day-to-day facts and figures. It's the ones that are led by visionary, creative leaders. Because the hardest thing to do is to navigate the market. Every, there's always more variables. And all these variables, it's the choices you make. The creative choices you make on on your the tip of your toes, on the ball, staying at it, staying creative about the way that you engage with the ever-changing market. And if you dive into that world, you're going to see the business heroes that are celebrated in that world. They're not uh, number, uh, you know, bean counters. They are <laughs> number bean counters. That's not what they are. They are creatives. And if you will see business strategy as a creative act, if you'll see it as an art in itself and you will derive creative energy from it, then you will fall in love with it and you'll want to spend as much time on that. To me, it sounds like you haven't really made that breakthrough. How can you figure out how business is as creative? All the successful creative people I know have figured that out. At some point, they had this paradigm shift that said, whoa, I'm getting as, whoa, they're like Keanu Reeves, uh, I know business kung fu. I know business creativity. Business is creativity. Make that shift in your brain. Figure it out. Do whatever it takes. Got to go read some business books. Got to go find your particular type of uh, uh, creative business. Um, And if you make that shift, you will start getting as much creative fulfillment from strategy as you do creativity. I got a question through email that talks about comfort zones. And they said there should be a disclaimer about comfort zones. They said they left 
their comfort zone to go talk at a conference and they liked it. But when they went back to their comfort zone, it was no longer comfortable. It felt discomfortable. It didn't feel good anymore. Uh, and they said you should. there should be a, a disclaimer out there about all these people that are pushing people out of their comfort zone that tells them that if you go out of your comfort zone, it's going to ruin it for you. And it's true. I don't think, I think once you leave home, you can never really go back. You know, when I moved away from the U.S. and lived in the U.K. for five years, when I came back to the U.S. and I thought, I'm coming home, all of a sudden I'd been changed. Home was different. It didn't feel comfortable like it used to. I saw everything differently. I had a new perspective and I had to redefine home and I had to reinvent it, right? And uh, that's the way it is. So when you leave comfort zone, uh, yeah, you're right it doesn't become your comfort zone anymore. And uh, I want to speak to that real quick because I think it is a make or break concept for your creative career is how you engage in your comfort zones and why your ability to expand your comfort zone is the key to making unique work. It's the key to creating interesting stuff is living an interesting life. And I want to talk about that real quick with um, an experience that I had really recently. So, like I told you, I went to Denmark uh, this week. I was there for six days. And the first 24 hours of it were excruciating. Uh, I was alone in this room. I'd spent, I'd, I'd planned it so that I had about 24 hours to recover from jet lag before I did my talk and my one-on-one -on -one sessions with the students that I was working with. And that was great in terms of energy level. That was a smart move. But in terms of loneliness outside of my comfort zone, it was dire. I was feeling all the feelings. I was really upset. I was in bed clenching my pillow, being like, please get me out of here. I was coping by looking up flights that I could take that day to get me back to the States. Um, I, I can't even really explain it. I just went through this intense feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And I wanted so bad to go back to, not Kansas, but Ohio. Uh, because I was lonely and everybody I knew was asleep in America and I couldn't call them or talk to them and I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know the language. I didn't know where to get food. I didn't, I was just scared. Okay. And then I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the internet on my phone. I had to only, uh, hop from Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi and it was just real scary until I went down to the town and ate some pizza and I felt a little bit better. But uh, the reason why I didn't book any of those flights and run back to my comfort zone is because I've learned that this discomfort zone is the key to my creative success. And I learned it from a friend of mine. He's got a little unusual name. You don't hear it very often. His name is Go Shrimp. <laughs> that's not his real name, but that's what he goes by. His real name is Dan Bandit. And uh, Dan Bandit taught me something. Um, he... I went out to his Go Scout training camp in 2015, and I interviewed him. It's one of my, uh, it's one of my most popular episodes um, from Creative Pepperonis. It's I know a lot of people that have listened to that episode multiple times. Dan is a wild cat with ADHD. Uh, I just, <laughs> I just envisioned him being an actual wild cat, uh, a jungle. I interviewed a jungle cat with ADHD. Sounds <laughs> super dangerous. Uh, okay, but anyway, Dan Bandit. He taught me something. Uh, he embodies a principle. He embodies this principle in such a way that it stuck with me deeply. And this is what uh, this is what he taught me. He said that when he was at school at SVA, he learned that 
the secret to making unique creative work is having unique experiences. Now, I've always known that one of the things that makes that deepens your creative voice is by putting your experiences in the work, you know, writing what you know. But I always thought of your experience as something that happens to you. A very victim mindset of like, my mom left me and my girlfriends cheated on me and I'm an emo boy. Like that's what my work is all about. Uh, and for a long, <laughs> long time, that's kind of what my work was about. And that was my perspective. And it wasn't until speaking with Dan that I realized your experiences aren't just what happened to you. It's what you choose that you can choose to have unique experiences that will make your work more unique. And when he was at school at SVA, he realized that if he chose to go do crazy experiences, it would create crazy work. If he had experiences nobody had, he could make work that nobody could make. And so he chose outside of school to buy a plot of land from his cousin and build in the woods a, a cabin for him and his dog to live in and to make illustration out of. And he'd never heard of any illustrator doing that, and therefore he would be able to live a life that would enable work that no illustrator could make. And so he had a tent, even through the winter, he like went through this brutal process of creating his own house with his own bare hands, and uh, he he did it. And it was, it was this life-changing experience of making this fort for him and his dog to live in. And then not long after that, he got an opportunity to be a background designer on a Cartoon Network show that was just getting started. And the request, the job at hand was to create, to illustrate, to imagine into existence a tree fort, a fort for a boy character and a dog character to live. Do you know what that show was? It was Adventure Time. Do you know who Go Shrimp is? He's the original background designer of Adventure Time. His lived experience meant that there was no one more qualified, no illustrator in the world more suited to create that fort into existence than my boy Go Shrimp because he had lived it. The amount of detail and the amount of, you know, in the particular lies the universal that he could put into that fort was unparalleled. Nobody could beat him because he had chosen these unique experiences. I was listening to this, uh, I was listening to this experience. I was having an experience with an episode of the Good One Podcast, second time I've dropped that. It's a great podcast for creative people because uh, the I love the host is he's so uh, hardcore about dissecting creativity, you know, really d opening this bad boy up. And he's not afraid to ask really particular questions. And he puts these comics in these, uh, to like really dissect their thought process, which is huge. Highly recommend it. I'll put it in the show notes. But he did an interview with this guy, Gary Goleman, who also, you should go follow him on Twitter. He's given out all these tips for stand-up comics, and they actually apply to all creativity in a lot of ways. Super good stuff. This guy's legit. Um, and he talks to Gary Goldman. And one of the things that Gary talks about is he learned to live for material. He learned that when he was running dry, when the joke tank was running on empty, it was not because he needed 
to get more creative, it was because he needed to live more. So he would go choose, like, go sign up to weird classes, go in a hot air balloon for the first time, jump out of a plane, whatever it is, but to fill up his experiences and that that would fill up his joke meter. And so have you chosen to live for material? Have you embraced the power of experiences? Experiences, your experiences, you own them. They're the thing that uh, fill up your work. And here's the thing. When I was in Denmark and I was feeling like a fish out of water, you know, feeling like I can't breathe. I'm not in my comfort zone. I'm out of the fishbowl. I was panicking. But because of these lessons I've learned, I've learned to get a little distance from it, step back, feel the discomfort, feel the feelings, but not run away, but to sit in it. And the reason I've learned to do that is because when I'm feeling those feelings, I I'm grateful for them. I'm like, oh, this is so painful. Yes. I'm so glad I'm feeling this pain because this pain, the pain of being out of the fishbowl, the pain of this discomfort, this is the price you got to pay for the good stuff. This is the secret to the secret sauce of making work unlike anybody else. And I've learned when I'm feeling like a fish out of water, when I'm feeling like I can't breathe, I've learned that the reason why I'm feeling like that is because I've just been taken out of my fishbowl. I'm sure you've heard this before. It's kind of like an urban myth of uh, the goldfish can only grow to the size of its bowl. Like if you want your goldfish to grow bigger, you got to put it in a bigger tank. And your bowl is your comfort zone. And you cannot become a bigger artist than your comfort zone. And so you've got to choose experiences. And those experiences are going to take you out of the water. And you're going to be panicking. And everything in you is going to want to flop back into your old bowl, back into your comfort zone. But when you're feeling that feeling, just know that the reason I can't breathe right now is because I'm being transferred in to a bigger tank. My, my, uh, my territory is being expanded and it's a temporary feeling. It's a temporary price to pay for a bigger tank and ultimately bigger, more verbose, more pulsating creativity in my work. And when you know that, you can get through the discomfort. You can push past it and you can get to that good stuff. And so if you feel like when you choose new experiences, you can't breathe and it causes you to run from them, I'm encouraging you, pay the price. They are the game changer. They are how you become a creative like no other creative by living a life like no other life. All right, that's another episode in the can. I hope this episode was full of some new stuff that you uh, haven't heard that gave you some new sauce for your creativity. And then also, I hope it was some reminders of things that maybe you forgot about that you need to put into practice today. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. You can find the Creative Pep Talk original soundtrack volume one on apple music and spotify oh and big thanks to ben worley for our dr pizza theme music it's my favorite 
And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to the Patreon backers. We got a bunch of new Patreon backers. Uh, you are the lifeblood of this show. You can go back the show at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Give a few bucks per episode. It really makes a big, big difference. Thank you to all of you who do that. Thanks for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.